Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Together, a Brighton and Hove Albion podcast. Um, we are coming in on the back of a pretty solid result against Liverpool despite the defeat and that's what we'll be looking at today in part 1. Um, the second part, our mid-segment, will be a closer look at Chris Hewton. Um, I decided to... I don't, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do with this middle segment yet but uh, for the newer fans amongst us, I think it would be nice for them to get a closer look at who Chris Hewton is and what he stands for and his life before entering Brighton and Hove Albion's management role. And for those of you who know very well who Chris is, maybe there'll be something in there that you didn't know before or just some interesting uh, statistics that you weren't aware of. And after that, we'll be taking a look at our Fulham game that we have coming up next week. So let's move on to part one, the Liverpool analysis. Um, Last year I did, uh, last year, last week, I did the good, the bad and the beautiful because that performance against United was nothing but. Um, This week I'm gonna do the good, the bad and the encouraging (laughs) because it really was despite a defeat. So let's move on to the good first. Um, the press outside of the box. We we identified early on last week that if we were going to beat Liverpool, we needed to press them and press them early, um, specifically to really hurt somebody like Keita, who is so good on the ball and so industrious on the ball. This week ended up being more Milner that was solid on the ball, but we, we did a great job of really neutralizing them both as best as we could. Um, we completed 26 successful interceptions against Liverpool this week, and 21 of them were in the space between the halfway line and the 18-yard box. So, as we, as we were talking about shutting down that midfield trio between the link of them and the front three, uh, we really did an, an incredible job at that. And I think Bissouma, Stevens, and Proper, that middle three that we decided to play this time instead of the the 4-4-1-1 really made a hell of a difference. We had a player in there in Bissouma that was absolutely comfortable playing that kind of role, that combative uh, back-to-front midfield, box-to-box role. And it really showed because... He did a job that our, our other central midfielders just aren't capable of doing. Um, I love Kyao, I love Proper, I love Stevens, but he he prom, he presented that extra quality that we didn't have before, and I think he was he was incredible. Um, but keep moving on from the fact that we we kept their midfield quiet, uh, it really links up to keeping those front three segmented. Um, I said at the end of last week that the key to us getting anything from this game was c- cutting out the ball. The balls played between Mane, Firmino, and Salah, and all three of them started um, as expected. There wasn't sadly any injuries <laughs> that would take them out of a one game against us. Um, they all played, but we did a hell of a job at keeping them segmented into their own little areas, like I said we should last week. Uh, Hutton really showed himself to be a bit of a mastermind by managing it. To, uh, to give you some some numbers behind that kind of statement. Uh, Manny was almost invisible this week. Only Allison had less touches than he did. Uh, that isn't including the subs that came on really late. But for the most part, only Allison had less touches than Manny. That really, I mean, that says a lot in terms of just how much we kept him out of the game. Um, and again, on shutting down the front three, uh, Mane, Salah, and Firmino's average pass success rate was a combined rate of 72%. Um, I mean, that isn't bad. 
Uh, but when you compare it to the rest of the team, they had an average pass success rate of 89.05%. When you think that, I mean, it just it just shows the difference was black and white. We, we absolutely stopped them doing what they wanted to do. We kept them away from each other. We kept them from linking up with the middle of the park. Uh, Mane was the biggest sufferer from it. But all three of them, I mean, at one point, I forgot Firmino was even on the pitch because we just did such a good job at keeping them away from each other and keeping them quiet. And I think Hewton has to take massive credit for doing that. Uh, I'd, I'm not sure we'll see another team at our level. I'm not talking about top six, um, but anybody really outside of the top six. I'm not sure you'll see any other team uh, shut down all of the front three in the in the effective way we did this season at Anfield. There's there's a bold statement, but I, I really believe it. It was something else altogether. So moving on to the bad, um, we are still shaky at the back when under pressure. We we lack an outlet when we play against the big teams away from home. In fact, we lacked an outlet at Watford. Um, and that lack of pace going forward, uh, it just shows how much we miss people like Izquierdo. Solly March, I thought, played really well yesterday. But that kind of pace outlet that people are scared to death of, March doesn't present that and neither does Knockart. Uh, they're both great in their own right, and we'll talk about Knockout a little bit later, but we we need something different, and Izquierdo presents that, and I'm hoping AJ will in the future. Um, but as of right now, and Lockadia, of course, but as of right now, we don't particularly have one because Murray just obviously doesn't have any, and March and Knockout are doing too much work at the back, and they're not quick enough to get forward, and the, front, and the midfield three were really just there to do a, a solid job, and they did it. So just on top of that, we're not very good under pressure and it shows because not only did we did we lack an outlet and we gave away the ball, but we also conceded four of our 14 fouls in a very dangerous area. Um, so these are key set piece places, edge of the box, side of the box, um, and four of 14 is a lot. That's that's not a normal amount to give away in key areas. We need to make give them away further up the pitch, but we didn't. Um, and thank goodness we didn't concede from one given the way we defend set pieces, right? Uh, but we didn't, and, uh, and hopefully we're not going to be able to give away that many fouls in dangerous areas against lesser teams. Um, I get that we're playing a massive team like Liverpool, so hopefully we're not going to be playing against that, their ilk every week. Um, but we really need to just get better at keeping our heads. Um, and one last thing from the bad was David Proper today. Um, he was poor. Of the midfield three, he was quite clearly the weakest today, which is kind of i mean we're just keeping up this kind of hot and cold thing that we've done with watford and manchester united performances and proper has done it to himself here because he was the absolute best player on the pitch against united and i think he was the worst on the pitch today against liverpool he was dispossessed four times um and according to whoscored.com he had six counted touches as bad control that gave away the ball um, nobody else even came close to this combination. I believe the next closest was Dale Stevens with four bad touches and one dispossession. So Proper really stood out as being that weak link in the middle of the park as giving the ball away today. Um, but, you know, the, the, the man just came off of an incredible performance against United and I'm not going to lambast him too much but it's worth acknowledging that that's, that happened and we need to accept that these things are going to happen even with our best players um, on to the encouraging Bissouma once again looked absolutely a class above um, he looks a lot like Paul Pogba 
and I know that they said that the Leals fans said that and I said it at the beginning of the season but he really does he looks like Paul Pogba without the without the stupid um without the stupid flair stuff that Pogba tries to do he just looks like a meticulous player um that just oozes class without trying to show it off like Pogba does um he's obviously nowhere near that level just yet but if he continues to grow in the way that he looks like he may well do um and goes under that wonderful tutelage of Hutton we could be earning a lot of money from him in a couple of years I've, I've said it more than once and I'll probably say it a million times again before the end of the season but he was really he was really very good he had a pass accuracy of 87.1 percent from 31 passes um, only Montoya and Stevens had more passes than he did today, with 34 for Montoya and 54 for Stevens, respectively. Um, and just to just to give some idea of their percentage, uh, Montoya played 34 passes and had a 67% pass accuracy rate, and Stevens played 54 passes with a 78% accuracy rate. So, I mean, that's a, that's quite a serious difference between the three, and Bissouma really just looked acres above them both. And talking about a French-speaking connection, uh, I think the encouraging also needs to look at Knockart. Um, he really is getting back to the man we knew in the championship, I think. Uh, he was great going forward, and he was very good going backwards today. He very rarely gave the ball away. He was actually the most economical on the ball for Brighton uh, out of the entire team. He, he gave away the ball the least. His pass accuracy was the best, and he had more shots than anybody else. He also was arguably unlucky not to score. Um, he really could have had that goal at the beginning, not the beginning, but towards the end of the first half, I believe, where he hit that volley that went wide. Um, he really could have scored from that, and on another day, he would have put it in the bottom corner or the top. Um, but yeah, he was he was really good. I was really impressed with Knockout, um, and I'm I'm really excited about it. It looks like he's having the same attitude change that Murray had when we signed Lockardier in January. Um, with AJ coming in this summer I think Knockout was showing those shades at the end of last season but he's really he's stepped back up again and he's going to be giving AJ a real run for his money um, and the final part of the encouraging was Matt Ryan again um, he kept us in the game with several key saves, the reflex save to keep Firmino out was just unbelievable, he is one of the biggest assets we, we have and he wins games for us on our on his own. Um, I mean, we didn't win this weekend, obviously, but he he is just something else. He, I'm surprised he's here. I, I followed him a little bit before he came to us in the Belgian league uh, and when he was at Valencia and didn't really do anything at all because he was somebody that I signed him football manager and looked amazing. And then I followed him in real life after that. You know how it is. You see a couple of players and you just love them. Uh, and when we signed him, it blew my mind because he was just so cool. And he's just unbelievable. Uh, we're, we are privileged to have him in between the sticks. And I hope it lasts for a long time because he is just a class above. And I would easily put him in the top 10 goalkeepers in the Premier League. And I don't think many people can argue with me against that. The final part of the Liverpool analysis was why we lost. Um, and it seems pretty self-explanatory, right? It was an individual error. Um, Bissouma gave away the ball after a kind of a hospital pass, but it was really his his blame to take. Um, he gave away the ball, and we conceded. <laughs> we can't do that against a team like Liverpool. Um, 
they're too good. They're probably the best in the league at punishing a mistake in that kind of area. I would say they're even better than Man City at it simply because of the absolute pace in which they can turn it around. Um, and, you know, you give Salah that much time, which was, you know, a second less than most top strikers need but he isn't most top strikers he's out of this world and he's carrying on his form from last season um and he just smashed it and you know it's hard to have any complaints against it when it was self self-inflicted um ryan even got a hand on it which is good for him um i'm not gonna have that conversation about him having weak risks i don't think it was that i think it was just so fast um the fact that he got a touch on it in the first place was really kind of impressive <laughs> So that's how it is. Um, I think we have a lot of things to be encouraged by against Liverpool. And I think if we could perform like that against the top six away from home, all of them, uh, we are going to do a lot better than last year. And if we can carry that kind of performance um, and dynamism into games against teams that aren't in the top six, it will be a very different year away from home. Um, it was a far cry from that shambles at Watford. And I'm hoping that we can stay more consistent on this side of the coin than that one um so yeah i think i think we should be really happy about it and it will be interesting to see how we play when we go away to some of the other big boys uh later on after the international break so moving on from segment one we're going to move on to the middle segment this week uh i would take a look at the carabao cup game but i don't want to do that because i may do a small bonus episode or i may just review it next weekend um, and just use that as a middle segment to review the Saints game. Um, so this week, I said about it last week that I wanted to take a closer look at Chris Hutton, and like I said at the start of the show, um, long-time fans who are tuning into these shows will probably know a lot of what I'm about to say, and this will be the first time on a podcast that I'm reading almost verbatim from notes I've made. Um, so pardon me if it sounds a bit poorer than usual, or better. I don't know. Tell me what you think. Um, but... Yeah, it's 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 going to be a nice look into his life for newer fans, uh, especially those Iranians um, and the Americans and the South Africans that I've spoken to that have started listening to this show, which is really cool, by the way. Um, and yeah, I'm going to be taking a look at Chris um, and giving you some background on his life, his football career, his management career, and we'll take a look at some of his key stats as it pertains to Brighton. So uh, let's take a closer look. Chris Hutton, um, born Christopher William Gerard Hutton, who was born on the 11th of December 1958 in Forestgate. Uh, back in the 50s, it was part of Essex, uh, and now it's part of London instead. The big old city swallowed it up. Um, he was born to a Ghanaian postman, Willie Hutton, and his Irish wife, Christine Nabork. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, having an African background, Chris qualified to play for the Republic of Ireland as the son of an Irish mother and a Ghanaian father and actually became the first mixed race player to represent the country in its history. Um, he has been breaking barriers his whole life and he's a hell of a guy. Um, he played 53 matches for the Irish national team for, throughout his career um, and yeah, he's, he's, he was some player. He began his football career with Tottenham Hotspur as a left back and made his debut um, in a kind of baptism of fire against Manchester United. So that's a nice way to start your career, right? <laughs> Play at Spurs as left back against a Manchester United side. Um, as a member of Tottenham's 1980s class, he won both the 81 FA Cup and the 82 FA Cup. Um, we won't talk about the 83 FA Cup. 
1984 UEFA Cup was also on his honours list, and he was the runner-up in the 1982 League Cup, and also got a runners-up medal in the 1987 FA Cup. Uh, Tottenham were very much a cup team back then, uh, and as you can see, he, he really reaped the rewards of that. Um, he was a mainstay. Uh, later on in his career, Chris later made that switch to West Ham United. Uh, he moved across London to the Hammers, where he helped them qualify for uh, in old money Division 2, um, and then moved to Brentford before hanging up his boots. Um, so he had a real he had a real strong career. He he played amongst the top divisions of the English league almost exclusively and never really left London. So, you know, fair play to him. It can't get much better than that. You barely have to move house and you're earning a crap ton of money playing for some top teams in London. Fair play to him, and he's winning silverware too. So he uh, he had quite a football career, and not long after that, he started his coaching career back in London uh, at his former club Spurs. This was a spell that lasted 14 years, from June 1993 to October 2007. Um, his spell with the North London club included two caretaker manager roles, and he served under 10 different managers at White Hart Lane. Um, if you ever wonder how or if you ever if you ever begin to question the experience chris has uh managing at a premier league level and i see it i see it online and sometimes i'll be honest with you sometimes i even allow myself to go down that dark road um but really when you when you read and hear stuff like that um he's he spent 14 years coaching at a premier league team and worked under 10 different managers in the top flight if you have any doubts as to how experienced he is and how much he knows um of what it takes to manage a top flight club i think that's all you need to hear right it's it's an incredible uh story of working your way up through the ranks the hard way the old way right um or as people over here would say the american dream working from the bottom up he's he did it um and he actually spent two two he was a caretaker manager twice um so i mean he was very trusted in tottenham at tottenham um and on the 22nd of february 2008 as we all know uh well some of us will know that newcastle united announced the appointment of hewton as first team coach under kevin keegan uh he then pretty rapidly became caretaker manager in september following the former england manager's departure um and he returned to his coaching role during the 2008-2009 season, but found himself shortly back into the caretaker role again for the 09-10 campaign, uh, following Newcastle's relegation to the championship. They, they've been through some rough times, the Toon Army, and he was there for a lot of it. But the, when he was finally... Um, he, was given the, he was given the reins as a caretaker manager um, in the championship, given that opportunity, and he started the season incredibly brightly. Um, it re actually resulted in Cuton winning the Manager of the Month awards for August, September, and November of his first season, uh, given a decent stretch of time to manage a football team. Uh, he was rewarded by his permanent appointment, um, and fair play to him, right? He, I think he, I think he had a hell of a season, and he really did. He, he was, uh, he secured promotion back to the Premier League in early April uh, before he sealed the title a couple of weeks later. Um, he only lost four of his 46 matches for Newcastle and remained unbeaten at St. James's Park. Um, his ability to make the home ground a fortress is something he's carried away uh, back to us and Fortress Amex is the reason we're still a Premier League club and I think that 
as long as we can improve marginally on our away form, I think Fortress Amex will be why we stay up again. And it's something that he seems to have a real knack at, at developing. And, I mean, keeping keeping a team unbeaten over 23 games is no joke at home. Later that year, um, in his first Premier League season as a full-time manager at Newcastle, uh, he was let go in December of 2010. Um I'm sure we can all agree, and anybody who was following football at that time, um, like I said, I know there's new there's new fans listening in, and people who may not have followed the, the football world or the English football world back then, but for those who do, um, we all know how poor of a decision that seemed at the time and how well it was received at the time. Um, it was really kind of appalling from Ashley to get rid of him, um, and you know they haven't done much better since, so you reap what you sow it was a karma thing to have to have newcastle's fall from grace continue for getting rid of such a solid manager um yeah he parted ways with them in december 2010 and was out of management until june 2011 when he took charge of birmingham city um he passed on his great championship record to birmingham um and guided the league league cup holders to the uefa europa league group stages and the championship playoffs all within the same season. Um, at that point, he was quickly sniped by Norwich. They required the services of Hutton in their Premier League season, um, and they did really well under him for their first season. They ended the 2012-2013 season in 11th place, um, and I'm sure that most Norwich fans would accept that they had a really solid season. Uh, the next season, not so much. Um, I have a Norwich City friend who despises Hutton to this day. Uh, <laughs> He was let go in April 2014 uh, with the Canaries one place and five points above the bottom three. We don't know, and obviously no one will ever know if they would have got relegated or if he would have shown enough to keep them up, but the Norwich fans despised him at this point in time. Um, They wanted him gone. They thought he was an absolute liability and wasn't fit to manage their team. And they went down anyway. Uh, The person they brought in wasn't good enough and they got relegated and they're still in the championship to this day. So, you know, again, similar to Newcastle, you reap what you sow. Um, And it just shows that having faith in a manager that as of right then hadn't got them relegated was, was a risky thing to do, letting them go and they got relegated for it. So, you know, it is what it is and Norwich fans can feel however they feel, but... If they don't look back on that season and think, what if we kept him just for three or four more games to see if we stayed up, they could still be a Premier League team. But, say la vie. Um, so let's move on to his managerial career with us. Um, he took us over after, after Huppier's reign. Uh, Sammy Huppier was a very exciting-sounding manager when we brought him in. But there were whispers very early on that his success in the German league was more to do with the people around him than him himself. A lot like Dennis Wise and Poyet. Um, a lot of people said Poyet was a reason Wise was such a good manager. A lot of people uh, over in Germany were saying the same thing about Hoppier, and it was appallingly obviously true. Um, and after a couple of seasons really challenging to go up during this time of Hutton bouncing around from Norwich to Birmingham, Brighton were on the rise, um, and we looked like a very good team, and it looked like we were going to go up. As we know, we didn't, and Hutton took over uh, midway through a season where we were actually in a relegation battle from the championship. He ground us back into the league um, and made sure that we stayed up, and then went on to 
narrowly miss out on promotion his first full season and bring us up in his second. Um, and his managerial career stats for us is really, really impressive. Um, overall, career stats, his managerial career win percentage for his all of his teams managed is 44.37%. That's I mean, that's incre- That's almost winning half of his games. We know he had a hell of a season at Newcastle, and he's had a hell of a two seasons with us in the championship. Um, but that's, I mean, that's a serious specialist of winning games at that level, and he did it really, really well. He managed 224 games um, out before he came to Albion, and has managed 154 with us since. Of those 154 games, um, he's won 71, drew 46, and lost 41. Uh, I think we can all accept that those stats are really something to be proud of. Um, he he did what he does in the championship and got us up. And he is finding new ways, even after all this time in the, in the business, he's finding new ways to innovate and keep us up and keep us competitive in this league. Um, his transfer work, along with Win Stanley and, you know, all the boys that are doing the recruitment work, is really top quality. Um, and he's molding players um in in the way he wants them to so we're incredibly lucky to have him he is probably the best manager i've ever witnessed at albion with Poyet a close second however controversial that is i love the man um but hutton is really i've questioned him myself um other people will have to um that's not something that you know i'm fickle just like everybody else but when it all is said and done he always seems to come out on top um he's such such a great dude and i hope he is here for many more years to come um if he keeps doing what he's doing obviously i don't see why he wouldn't be um so yeah that's the end of my middle segment um and i hope that even if you knew a crap ton about him i hope that something uh something new has been shined upon for you and for those people who really aren't familiar with the with the with the inner workings of Albion. Um, I hope I gave you a good profile of who he is and what he stands for. So moving on to the final segment, the Fulham preview. Um, Like I've done before, we'll do the how we'll win segment, the how we'll lose segment, and the predicted 11 for us. Um, So let's move straight on to how we'll win. This was taken, I'm recording this shortly after the Fulham game has finished against Burnley, where they battered them um, 4-2. So moving on to how we'll win, um, just like we did against United, we need to press them high. Um, if you look at the heat map on whoscored.com um, in their win over Burnley, it shows that the vast majority of their touches took place in the middle third of the pitch, um, just like Leicester, uh, Manchester United did against Leicester. And this is where we need to beat them. Um, we need to. This is where we beat United, um, and we need to do the same to them. We were incredibly good. At pushing United in that in that area and making them incredibly uncomfortable, and I think if we do the same to Fulham, they're going to fall apart, and they'll obviously fall apart quicker than United because they're not as good as they are. Um, and similarly, Pogba um, is a player we needed to shut down. Him and Shaw were the two players we needed to focus on to shut down. Um, and this weekend, it's going to be no different, really. We have key points we need to keep an eye on. And one of those is uh, Andre Scherler. He's came back to the Premier League um, with very little fanfare compared to the first time he popped over in a Chelsea shirt. Um, but today, he had an absolute blinder. Um, he, Fulham had 25 shots today, and he had 11 on his own. <laughs> um, he was incredible. So 
to keep him quiet um, means we have a hell of a chance of getting points the, th the whole three. Um, this isn't playing, we're not, you know, we're not playing at Craven Cottage, we're playing at the Amex. This is a team that's going to be coming to us and we need to make them uncomfortable from the get-go. And keeping him quiet is going to be the same thing as keeping Pogba quiet. Uh, we're going to really be able to press them back and probably win the game. Um, but how we'll lose, the key, the second key factor, the second key player we need to keep quiet more than anybody else is uh, Seri. Seri was a player that they signed uh, kind of out of nowhere, but he's he's a serious talent, and I wasn't the only one surprised to hear that they got him. They spent a lot of money on him too, but he, if we allow him to run the middle of the park, uh, he will take us apart in the same way that Kata would have if we'd have let him do the same to us this weekend. If we can shut down Kata at Anfield, I have no problem in thinking we can do the same to Seri at the Amex. Um, on top of that, Canning now looks injured um, and may well miss next week. If he does, that's a real big psychological blow for them because Canny has been their talisman um, for some time. So I'm sure that they'll have a perfectly quality midfielder to replace Canny, but you know, if they don't, um, it's something that we can really f exploit. Um, I, I think that we can shut Seri down, but it's really important to do so. Uh, he had 103 touches today against Burnley, and again, like I said, they were at home, so this is going to be slightly different to what we would expect at the Amex, um, but he had 103 touches, 20 more than anybody else on the pitch today, and a 92.4% pass accuracy rating. Um, I mean, just take that in, that's a <laughs> over 100 touches and 92.4% pass accuracy. Um, his ability to recycle the ball consistently uh, was the reason they won and it will be the reason we'll get beat if we allow him to do the same I have no problem in thinking that Murray and Gross and well the entire front group can really press him and make him uncomfortable especially if Kenny doesn't start but he is going to be our he is going to be our man to, to shut down him and Scherler are going to be the two and if we shut them down then people like Mitrovic um, we don't need to worry about them anyway uh it's going to be it's going to be a kind of dot to dot where if we keep them out there's going to be no problem in keeping Mitrovic will be quiet due to that um so moving on to our predicted 11 uh, i think we'll probably see the same 11 that beat united actually um i think gross will come back into the team and i think he'll deservedly do that given the per the the performance he gave last time at the amex uh, so i think we'll see matt ryan in goal of course um montoya at right back who has slotted in and looks a real touch of class on that right side. He He's really small. I didn't realize how tiny he was, but he always comes across very tiny on the camera when you're watching him, but he wins plenty of aerial battles, just like when I gave the uh, the player analysis of him. He doesn't, he, he's able to win a lot of balls in the air, so, you know, fair play to him. Um, Duffy and Balogun will probably take that centre-back role partnership. Um, I don't think we'll see Dunk before the international break. From the sounds of things and the, the way people are talking about it, you know, the way they're talking about Dunk um, in press conferences, I don't see any reason for us to risk him, honestly, until after the international break and ensure he's back to full fitness. But, you know, if we beat Fulham um, and make it a very strong performance, then it becomes a case of who the heck do you drop him for? Because Balogun has done nothing but 
perform admirably since. So we'll see. Um, Bong will probably start again at left back. Bernardo was given a real crap hand to start with, but Bong has since came in and done so well that it's tough to argue about him staying in. Um, so it's really a case of Bernardo working hard, um, waiting for Bong to play himself out of the side. It'll happen. It's happened to everybody over the last season, and I'm sure that when Bernardo gets that chance, I hope he takes it. Um, I think Knockart will start on the right again. Um, he, like I said, I think he's been a real shining light for us this season, almost like a new signing. Um, Stevens and Proper will man the middle of the park, and I think it will be on Proper, not Stevens, to really hurt Seri and stop him from getting that ball out. Um, I would think that Stevens would be responsible for keeping that Scherler, Sessegnon, Mitrovic area from, from exploiting us too hard. So we'll see how that goes. I think March will start on the left simply because we don't have anybody else. And he his last two games have been a huge improvement since Watford. <laughs> and I think we'll play with the, the usual front two of Gross and Murray. Um, so I think we have a lot of a lot of reasons for optimism following on from Liverpool and I think we're gonna be just fine um so please feel free to follow me at together BHA I would also like to give a a big shout out to Skylar in Dallas that's his twitter name at Skylar in Dallas Uh, he is the reason I have a new podcast piece of artwork and he did a great job um so thank you again Skylar um and I'll be giving you a shout out on twitter too I'd like to give another shout out to at Sports Heel, otherwise known as Marty. Um, he is the brains behind my new website, TogetherBHA.com. Um, so thank you to both of them because it's really cool to be able to do that kind of stuff and have people reach out to me uh, like Skylar and offer to create that artwork for me and to be able to rely on people like Marty to make that kind of website working and, you know, it's cool. So thank you so much to all of you um, and thank you to everybody who listens. Um, if you ever want to see anything new or different, let me know. And once again, uh, I'm at TogetherBHA on Twitter. Um, and togetherbha.com is the new website you can find me there so thank you and see you next week